It's time to talk music, audio gear, and anything else that crosses our minds. I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. And welcome to the Hareton Audio Podcast. So, this week, uh, there's been an interesting development with um, Kim Petrus and the release of her album that was shelved after it was leak, uh, leaked, called Problematique. And what's quite interesting, as far as this album is concerned, is genre-wise, it's very French house-orientated. And coming off Psychedelic Switch by Callie Ray Jepsen, which is also very French house-orientated, it, it sort of puts me in the mindset of people are basically cherry-picking what type of music they want to make, and almost like to, to the niche of the decade, the album or whatever, and saying, I want to do an album that is like 2000s French house, or... I would say '90s drum and bass, and and you know that, or you know, like the the synthwave stuff, which is more like just '80s pop, and like you know Hall and Oates, like because you hear a lot of the Hall and Oates type stuff. So it's it's interesting to me that now with with the state of like chart music, artists are just basically picking a genre and saying, "I'm going to do this genre." I feel like cause we sort of touched over this with people like Miley, say, Miley Ray Cyrus. Miley Cyrus, trying to say Miley Ray Cyrus. Oh, what was that? You Wait, combined them Miley Ray Jepsen and Miley Cyrus together. Yeah, well, I think I'm, I'm getting that Billy Ray Cyrus thing mixed up all into it. Um, yeah, that's not good. Uh, Miley Cyrus, we was talking about this with her albums, her newest albums. But another great example, I think one of the main examples of this I can think of is Carly Minogue. Because oh, she yeah. did the disco album, a country album, like a dance album, all all like relatively fast, like swapping and changing it, and not like some of them quite subtly go into the the genre, and it's like a flavor or like a seasoning, but it's still an album. Whereas I feel like Kylie Minogue's album, she's gone like all in on them. Yeah, each she's done them. Each, each of the last few projects has been a specific like genre like you say and yeah. then tensions album is just all like 90s and 2000s like just house and dance music which in this climate isn't very surprising sometimes but like you say it's instead of just writing songs she's like theming her album projects in yeah. like specific genres to say this is 10 like you say country inspired songs here's 10 like disco inspired songs and here's 10 like house sort of 90s inspired songs it is one of those things though where i think it helps the albums sort of stand out by themselves it stops them from bleeding in and stops people from saying the sound samey you know like if they're putting out a lot of music it's a very immediate way to say well i'm not just doing the same thing again and again and again but does that is it always a positive thing? I feel like with pop music, it's a lot more celebrated when people do different genres and, and like run around a bit. But I feel like in, in like more niche genres, you know, if you have like a really heavy, like hardcore band, go, we're going to do some really light, like, you know, sing along pop style songs as well. People might be very emphasis on the mic. But they may be more like, um, well, why are you doing that? I don't like that. You know, I came here for the hardcore music because, you know, I, I suppose you could say with niche genres, there's a reason why people find themselves there. And a lot of the time it's because they're looking for something that is off-kilter and is something different and also something specific. So when an artist 
pivots really hard, they can shake the people who were there for the, the genre more than them in a way. So do you think, like, say, say take Nickelback, who have a sound, they have, like, a very div- defined sound that you associate with their band and with their guitar tone, the vocal style, everything, even down to the way the songs are written. They, they, they're sort of... You, you have an expectation for a band like Nickelback. And they have, like, delved in disco and stuff with She Keeps Me Up and stuff, but it's still rooted in that sort of Nickelback production, even when they're playing with other genres. If they came out with an entire album that was say, She Keeps Me Up, do you think Nickelback fans would would go for that? You know, I think, just because the association, they're, they're just expected to do what they do, aren't they? I think with when you're a fan, if you're a really, really big fan of the band, people will go, even if this isn't necessarily what I want, I want to support the band. And, you know, a lot of the time... If you like an artist, you probably like the way they do their songwriting and their overall approach. So I think sometimes, even if they're doing music that's radically different, the actual core musical motifs being used are probably going to be similar to what that that artist would do because that's part of their, like, their musical DNA. And that can translate into different genres. But I think if you are a casual or you know passive listener who are like well i like these these songs because they're good songs but i don't really care about the artist which i think a lot of people find themselves in this category and then that's probably going to shake you off you're probably going to go well I, I don't i'm not really into this so i won't listen to it yeah, you're, you're meaning like the, the casual fan who maybe doesn't really understand why an artist would choose to change up their sound or why they would, you know, like from an industry standpoint, why it would be interesting for them to do that. They're just like, they don't sound the same as they did when they came out. So Yeah, so I know, don't I'm like out. them because I listen yeah. to them because of this reason. Yeah, because they sound like they did on the debut yeah. album 10 years ago. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, obviously, like a lot of people who are really into music, I suppose you you have you listen to it with a different lens because you think that's interesting because they're going for this or they're going for that, and you start to like dissect it in your brain as you're listening. Yeah, and like I, I, why would they do that? You know? I also find that whenever whenever an artist, and this always comes to mind when I think about people, other people's reactions to say Linkin Park. Yeah, there was always like since they got this new producer in Linkin Park like either sucks or they're not the same maybe and i always think well the producer can only do so much there's no way that that band was going nowhere near that direction and the producer <laughs> did everything and and made sure all the songs were different if you, you know if lincoln park are going in a different direction that's regardless to who the producer is that's where they was going so i always find it funny when people blame producers for things and now I feel like retrospectively, the albums that people sort of clowned on by Linkin Park are almost like their definitive songs, the way they're remembered. Yeah, I know what you mean um, in that sense. And also what, what else comes into this is like a lot of artists will use songwriters or, or go to songwriting pools and take songs out. So if we're using that as an example you can go get somebody else's song that's written completely without you and then just put your spin on it. Um, effectively like a, an original cover in, in a lot of ways. Um, that 
is an interesting sort of lens on the idea of a band, say, changing the sound. Because a, a band can say, I want to work with this songwriter because I know that they will impart a certain sound on our sound. And I think that as well, as you're saying, it's presumptuous to assume that every artist is writing most of their own songs. I mean, it's still a relatively new phenomena in popular music that you sort of write your own songs. I mean, there was a, I mean, particularly in like certain genres like country, it's sort of like, a, well, you want the best songwriter, the best singer, the best guitar player. You're not expected to do everything. It's only people like Taylor Swift who have tried to break that mould. Yeah, or the Zac Brown band where Zac, they try, yes. he keeps his own band. Yes, so that's that's the thing. It's like some genres, you know, you're not necessarily listening. You know, it's easy to think when we talk about an artist that they are writing the songs and that their melodic choices are them. But sometimes you know, as you say, they're not writing a lot of the songs, but you could bring this back to Elvis. What did Elvis have? He had an ES. So even though he didn't write songs typically, or very often, or at all, but I think, I'm sure he did something, but he typically doesn't write his own songs. But he would have his ear, would, you know, it would prick up and say, well, that's the sort of song I would sing. Or, you know, like he said about Puck Saladani, he said, that's the song I feel like I would have wrote. Yeah, and then this comes into the argument of even, like like you say, when people have a sound that they're known for, they always end up gravitating towards those certain things that they like. And so if they're picking, like from, say, songwriters or, or people to work with, they want to work with people that are like-minded musically that will do things that they like the sound of. Because like you say, everybody is subtly biased to what they like to listen to. And I think a lot of people don't really know why they like things it's just you hear things and certain things like you might be listening to a completely different type of music that you you don't typically like but the melody or 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 drums or something might be making you go well i like this but i don't really listen to this sort of music yeah and that might be because you know you gravitate towards a certain key or a certain tempo or a certain melodic phrase or device that is is used yeah. you know you you might find that you like dissonance and that's why yeah. you like classical music heavy music punk music you know like and that's your your you're listening for that dissonance and that's what makes you like a song where some people hate dissonance and that they'll want the opposite of they that. want resolve they want resolve and that's like but if you're not clued into that and you don't realize that's what you like as a listener then, like you say, what say if a, a heavy band who typically uses very like atonal riffs, if they do a really melodic song, you're going to say, "Well, that's poppy because it sounds yes. poppy to me because it sounds not predictable to, to me or, yeah. or what I would thought." And I always think as well, you know, there's, there's songs that have like this uh, sort of twisted sound to them that people l love to use that word like twisted or or you know like off kilter or anything melodically where it's um i mean i don't know how to even describe it it's almost like it's like a something that a swing band might use say if okay. you know what i mean but it it can be used more more often i think bands that that have done this quite well obviously i think 
Imagine Dragons come to mind. A song like um, Sucker for Pain is oh, the okay, style yeah. of song or um, Heathens by 21 I, Pilots. I know this what, is the sound, the, the, the yeah. melodic devices used. It would be hard to use them melodic devices in a really, really go, like open pop song where it was just in, say, C major or something. Like They're tapping into a modal thing, I feel like, on them sort of things. Yeah, I know what you're saying when you say take those songs. It's like, you can imagine Sucker for Pain as, as crazy as it is being played by like a 20 swing band because yeah. it's that type of song. Melodically. Where, yeah, they could, you could easily have like, say in a movie, somebody, a jazz band could cover that song like with a swing and with the brass and stuff, like Mini the Moocher style, and it, yes. would, it would work. And I think like another example I would say is like, this is very applicable with a lot of um, like Swedish melodic rock and stuff, but Avicii, arguably, yeah. is the same thing. He sort of does um, very, like he incorporates a lot of very traditional music into his, like his productions. So even though it's like massive EDM, you could imagine like a, um, a folk band sort of singing the melodies and playing the same chords because that's sort of the derivative that he's come from. Yeah, and he's sort of leaned into that to a point where he's almost like when, when he was doing his, his um, album True, he was just getting bands to... He was either doing it from a sense that he was finding bands that he liked the sound of to then make into that EDM re or, arrangement, or, or he was finding people to play in that style for his music to give it that feel. But like you say, because he did that, and that's what he was looking to, to you know, sort of go direction-wise, it means that it works in both genres. It works completely stripped back acoustically, but it also works in, like, the EDM arrangement. And a lot of people sort of took inspiration from that even though in dance music dance music is you know i would have said a little bit more um not it's not as like folk song sounding melodically you know yeah yeah not as traditional yeah not as traditional it's more um yeah genre like he tries to break and defy the mold a lot of the time does dance music but that was one case where it sort of felt like it came back uh, you know it's not the only case but it's it's definitely one that stuck out to me yeah because the thing with dance music is that it's all about the production more so than the chords used and that's why they tend to use minor keys but make them sound happy because of the like with happy hardcore it's the instrumentation that's so upbeat it doesn't really matter if it's traditionally in a minor key now i know people can use major and minor keys and use them like uh i think the idea is is that songs sound because in dance sort of production everything's quite cold and clinical a lot of the time anyway um and it uh, everything can be sort of perfect as well if the producer desires it to be then um if you do that all with major chords like if you're doing like one five six four it can sound pretty cheesy yeah so i think the idea is that by playing like that that deadpan blue steel dance like in minor and making the music a bit like like what swedish house mafia do where the music's very sort of serious it takes itself seriously yeah 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 that makes it sound less cheesy and more I, I would definitely say more timeless in that sense. Like, yeah, you know, they're trying to make an anthem more so than like a 
like you say, when it's all like in major, it starts to just, sh- just sound like not children's party music. But it gets but a bit it, jaunty, doesn't it? Gets it? A bit it jaunty. can get a bit like it's hard to describe it. It can get not cool in yeah, a way. Yeah, because like when you think about that sort of style, you know, you think like um, or some I, of the dance hits. But go on, what was you? Gonna I was going to say, imagine like top of the on top of the world by Imagine Dragons as like a deadpan dance song. It would be impossible. Yeah, it would. It would really struggle. Because that song is leaning heavily on that, you know, like a jaunty, like happy, like overtly happy yeah. thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. And and the, those songs just don't work with like that, that like really lush sound design that has all those, you know, like devices in that makes a song brooding or or like anthemic in a different way because you can have an an anthem that's like a jaunty anthem yeah and you can have an anthem that's like uh you like very stereotypically cool sounding you know like play it at the end of a movie play it in an action scene that sort of like stereotypical musical cool that you expect and and like you say top of the world is you don't think cool when you hear that song you think you happy think celebration or celebration happy, yeah. Yeah. it's like a it's like a subtle like um mental thing where you, you know songs present themselves and there's you know i mean for lack of a better word a vibe that yeah. the song gives off or an emotion like songs are meant to tap into an emotion and so it's hard to have a song that is melodically one emotion and bring it into another one. It can be done. I think there's some really good remixes out there that that can really flip the mood of a song. But it definitely the more the more weighted it is, like as like a, a happy song. I think Top of the World always comes to mind because of the whistling. Like maybe if you start taking the whistling and you start taking the production out of it. I'm trying to think of any melodically sad songs that have whistling in. It's it's a tough one because whistling is typically used as like a whistle a device. By Callum Scott. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the that only is, one I can think of. It, that's because of thrashing it on radio. It, it's one of those things where whistling stereotypically you would you would imagine it in like a very upbeat jaunty song um, used for like a kids movie. Civil War by Guns N' Roses is, Ooh, that's, is a, that's that's pushing the line because it's not in it's on the start isn't it I but it's would not. say it's in there Winds of Change by Scorpions now I'm just thinking about whistling and songs I'll tell you what you've actually put a good a pretty good counter argument into think, this idea I of whistling I think it obviously it depends in modern times I feel like whistling is used very yeah. like moves like Jagger is another great example yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's where I would imagine it but I think it used to be used more for ballads like that cowboy Thing. Yeah, the cowboy theme. That's like, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking about like westerns and whistling like a melancholy sort of um, like you say, walking through the desert is the imagery. Like you say, when you think winds of change by the Scorpions, you, you just like think dry, sad desert town. You know, yeah, Lone Ranger walking through with the whistling in the background. Um, three yeah. or three though. Three or three with the whistle. Oh yeah, it's a song called Starstruck. Starstruck. <laughs> That's definitely you see this melancholy. Is, <laughs> this this is another thing, right? When when you're thinking about when you really think about musical devices, like say even like things with whistling, you can immediately start to think, well, what songs have whistling in? And your brain goes, well, that's a whistle, and this is a whistle, and this song comes to mind. Well, you're right because whistling is not 
common. It's not something you would expect to hear in a song. So I suppose what you're saying is if you choose to go for the whistle in yeah. a song, it might that might be something that, that gets into people's brains and makes you remember it like an earworm. Yeah. But I feel like whistling is one of those devices where it can it can very much put people off. Yeah, whistling <laughs> Especially is Especially people who can't whistle. Yeah, whistling like is it. not something I look for in a song. It's not something that would deter me from a song I like, but sometimes whistling as a device, it can be one of those things. But once again, Do you know what I would put on par with the whistle? Well, saxophone. Okay, why, why is that? Because it's, again, not typically used. It's not a good... You wouldn't expect to hear it in a song. Yeah. You know, you don't listen to a song and go, obviously the saxophone solo. Oh, good. you mean like it's always a surprise? It's it's like, oh, they've, they've chosen. They've, 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 you've got an array of choices like when, when recording a song. And I feel like a saxophone is a, is a big choice. Yeah. You know, you don't accidentally put a saxophone solo in a song. But to come back round to where we started, like these are the sort of choices that make people's, like say careers musically, have a sound. So if somebody says, well, I like to throw in a whistle every here and there, or, that, you know, yeah. and it gives them a, a sonic identity. And like you say, bands like The Midnight, they go, we like the saxophone. So we're going to stick with the saxophone, Bruce Springsteen comes to mind when you think rock saxophone because they, these are choices they made I feel when like getting the bands together or when starting to record an album that it's a choice going like i say you could do that solo on a guitar a piano a harmonica, harmonica. yeah Ooh. <laughs> same time but like i say it's a choice to go we want a saxophone player and we want it to is. tour with a saxophone player because they don't need to do that and it actually costs them money you know, oh, yeah. when you think about a tour yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that, or even a session musician to come in, you know, unless you have a saxophone player as part of the band, which is still a choice on the rest of the band to just hire, unless you've got somebody who's just good at saxophone around you. Yeah. It's one of those things, like, say, it's these devices that people use. Even if you can sing falsetto, you don't have to. It's a choice. Yes. It's a choice you make when writing a song to say... I want this bit to be in falsetto. I, mean, I want to make it known that I sing with falsetto. This is a thing that I feel like is very applicable with guitars, though. Like, there's a lot of guitarists out there, like the Moon Fives guitarist comes to mind, where he can absolutely shred, yet chooses not to. He, yeah. He's one of those players where he goes, well, we need to save the song. This song doesn't need a guitar solo, so there isn't one in there. But, I mean, could you imagine moves like Jagger if he just ripped it right at the end just absolutely like he does live like he, yeah he often a lot does of the time live they do like this solo breakdown at the end of the track and there's there's a lot of artists that choose not to go for the cliche guitar solo and then there's a lot of artists that choose to go for it and that in itself you know i think i feel like a, a guitar solo is a lot more common of a device it's not something Particularly in rock, it's not something that comes as shocking, but um, I do think it's a lot, lot less common than it was. I think that's a very obvious statement, but it's it's true. Yeah, because a lot of bands get away with not having guitar solos full stop. Yeah. Or some bands get away with having a guitar moment over a guitar solo, like what you would class as a traditional guitar solo where they're just playing and just improvising. I feel like on most, on a lot of new pop rock slash 
modern alternative albums, there may be a guitar solo across... There may be one or two moments for a proper, like a proper guitar solo, where it's like the song sort of pivots and everything is to tee up the guitar solo. Yeah. Um, And then you have choices made by, say, pop singers, or even like hip-hop artists where they go we're going to put a guitar solo in this song yeah and we're going to make a moment of it because maybe in their tour they don't have a moment like that during the show and they want a moment that they can let the session guitar player flex i actually feel like it's become a lot more popular for pop and like like you say rap hip-hop sort of artists to do guitar solos because as you say it's a moment in a show and live, it's there's a reason why people like it, but it's not cliche. If you're like a, a power pop artist, and then somebody comes and does a ripping solo, it's actually a, like a shock. Or like you say, like just a distorted guitar hits so much harder in some of those songs. Like I hit it by Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. That guitar, the way it's mixed, and because it's just one stab, probably that they've sampled, and then they just keep retriggering. It just it hits you because you're not expecting that type of sound in a Latin sort of beat like that and i would also say filthy by justin timberlake throws you yeah. through a loop because you're like what why is yeah, you've this got happening? this full live band doing like the start of a live show and then it drops straight into just like a, a sub bass and a kick drum basically. yeah and like and these really weird fm sort yeah. of squelchy turns and i feel like even justin timberlake's voice on filthy for the bit where it's like a live band show oh, it's covered in echo it's covered in echo yeah. reverb it's meant to sound like he's on stage and then it drops straight into like a very intimate like no effects just him and the like sub bass it's a very the- deliberate like subvert your expectations moment and again that song like out of all of justin timberlake's catalog i haven't like listened to it all in detail but that song really surprised me and i i find myself if i do put any of his stuff on that's one of the go-to songs just because it's such a bizarre arrangement and it's such it's an unexpected arrangement say if you're putting a playlist on it's a way to shock somebody who's listening it's a way to say you're not expecting this. And yeah. I suppose that's why Justin Timberlake probably made it like that because it's a way where if you put it on radio as like a debut single for him, for his album, it's like a way to get people to talk about it because you go, well, I wasn't expecting that from Justin Timberlake. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I've not heard anybody do it like that in this sort of context. And, you know, the full song is, is a bit like a, you know, a shock factor. You know, you, you're just not, ready for it I suppose and nothing can prepare the way the song starts and then the no, way you're not prepared hard pivots into the other the, you know like the B section yeah you're not ready for it nobody could be prepared and not surprised on by like the sound a fair listen if it was a reaction video of listening to Filthy by Justin Timberlake yeah. I don't think anybody could pause it after the song changes and say oh, yeah I saw that coming or nobody could write nobody could look at say say like you look at the audio file on like a DJ software or even like within a, a computer software you couldn't look at the audio sample and anticipate such a drastic change just without knowing it was already there because you're not going to say well it's going to go from a massive live band uh like showing off basically um and then just drop straight into like i mean it's not it's not quite dubstep but it's not far off it's uh, It's, like i said fm fm squelchy bass squelchy bass yeah it's just well very electronic i suppose um 
for lack of a better word, I'm trying to think about what the beer sounds like, but it's, yeah, for lack of a better word, it's just electronic. It's just very drying electronic coming off a very echoey, live sort of intro. And I think that's very interesting. And, you know, these are the devices that people choose to use. And a lot of the time, you can do whatever you want, like particularly when you're like an established musician, like say a lot of these people are. You just make that choice. And I suppose songwriting and production and being an artist for a lot of these people is just about making decisions well, and saying, I am going to do a pop album. I am going to not do a pop album. And that's all it's about. But these things could be the difference between the artist going, I am not inspired anymore. I'm going to yeah. take a break. I'm going to go out the studio and, and I, I might take a year off. A bit like, as Ed, Ed Sheeran said, between was it between X and Divide? He was like, I've got to go live some life yeah. before I write any more songs. Some people feel that way. And then I suppose if you're more in like the creative mindset, it'd be like, well, if I'm writing something, I need something to get me excited. And if you're just stuck in your wheelhouse with your same sounds and the same stuff using the same melodic devices, you might be like, well, why, why would I be making this? There's nothing like to, to inspire. Whereas if you start and, you know, I think this is why people like to do the crate digging and the sampling thing, because you could just drop the needle down and hear something and go, whoa, that's, that's immediately sparked an idea that I wouldn't have done if you had to play it on the, with the piano roll. And I suppose this comes back to like the age old saying, if you want to be inspired, listen to things you've not heard. Yeah. Do things you've not done. Uh, talk to people you've never met basically, but like mainly with music, don't listen to the same stuff you've always listened to because none of that, even though you're inspired by it, you can't constantly be inspired in different ways by the same thing. Or my advice would be if you like a song, and then there's a feature on that song. You go, I don't really know who that person is. I'm not that bothered about that person. Maybe if the person you like listening to so much felt like they wanted to work with them, maybe listen through the newest album and see, well, does that, do I feel anything or do I not feel anything? And you might find you like them. Yeah. You might find you don't. And then, you know, yeah. <laughs> so this has been our roundabout topic on, on mainly it's just gone into like just the creative process and inspiration and, and just picking apart what we hear and what we see from songwriters and artists in, in like a professional capacity and, and like from a music fan standpoint, you know, do you agree or disagree or embrace the choices that artists make? Are you a ride or die? You'll you'll get what you're given, or are you like no, go back into the studio and try again, redo the first like, album that's, again. That's what I think. There's two types of fans. Some of them are like, send it back, yeah, and then some of them are like, and I'll take I'll take anything, yeah. Right, I've been Mark, and I've been Peter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>